Hopefully, this is the last time you hear this ad, because with Chime Checking Account, features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts, or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals 24. That's chime.com goals 24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio, May 12th, 2018. You're hearing this probably on May 14th, 2018, which means Brandon Howard Thurston, my co-host here, is already gone through his epic battle in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. This is Christopher Mukigana Heron. You said an Erie promoter. Is it not Erie, Pennsylvania? No, Fort Erie. Fort Erie, Ontario. Oh my goodness, you're going to the Canadian border. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Completely legal. Completely legal. So, uh, I'm Christopher Mukigana Harrington, the other co-host of the show. I've uh, already messed up our introduction, but that's all right, because uh, I'm excited to be joined here by Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston, who has recovered from our five or six hour recording marathon from last week. Brandon, how are you feeling today? Uh, a, a, a little drowsy. Um, I, I wrestled last night, too. So that, that, that was Friday? Friday, yeah. We're recording on Saturday. I wrestled on Friday for Ron Falco and IW and you, Brockport. And, but I ask the same question every time. <laughs> yeah. Did you come home with the winner's purse? I did, yeah. So the night before, we actually... Uh, we did some training, and, and part of it was we were being interviewed by Channel 7, the local Channel 7, uh, which is the ABC outlet in Buffalo. Um, they were, they're doing like a two-minute blog piece, I think, on on, on ESW, and uh, so we were part of that. And part of that training session, I had a, ma- a match where I took a pile driver, and um, uh, it, was, it, was, it was pretty intense, but I'm okay. And uh, I had to wear a neck brace the following night when I, when I uh, wrestled for Ron Falco, but... Uh, but. Did it, was this a shoot neck brace or was this a uh, you're selling the gimmick? 
uh, all, all neck braces are real neck braces. I'll, I'll say that. And, um, <laughs> I, I was able to be victorious though. And, and the neck brace oh. may or may not have been a factor. True that. Um, did you, uh, who did you wrestle? Sean Carr, um, who's, uh, who's from Binghamton. Yeah. He's a good wrestler from, uh, upstate New York. My goodness. So this has been a, a Brandon um, extravaganza. So we just heard that you were uh, recorded for a piece for the, the television news, the dying media that it is. Yep. You, I, was in, I was in the newspaper the other week. What were you in the newspaper for? Uh, for, the, for the wrestling school, my college newspaper. Oh, the UB article. The, the University of Buffalo. Yeah. Did we talk about that? I can't even remember. But, uh, we did a little bit. We talked about it on the uh, Patreon show. Uh, for the subscriber premium show and then this week a video that i think was was done in conjunction with that ub article if i'm not mistaken not really um they weren't present for that at all oh okay so this was separate and and it's what well, the, anonymous. The, um, they did reference the, the stuff on the whiteboard though because it's it's still there on the whiteboard so he saw it and, and mentioned it in the article but yeah but he was not so, present for this talk that, that in, for the video that you're, you're about to talk about. Yeah, so Grapplers Anonymous, which is the training school that uh, you are one of the trainers for, uh, they put out a video, and it was called Breaks Down the Differences Between Modern and Traditional Pro Wrestling. It's a video with a, a whiteboard, a chart, you're, you're lecturing, and uh, you've been getting a lot of praise from this. We saw Dave Meltzer tweeted this morning about it. Uh, John Pollock uh, retweeted it out and was saying people should watch it. Uh, I am a, of course, an experienced professional wrestling news media personality and influencer, mm-hmm. and uh, I have have contributed zero YouTube revenue to you by watching this yet. So yeah. I have not watched this video. You have uh, liked the tweet though, so I, I can I guess I can appreciate that. Yeah, I've influenced. I'm, I've um, I've done a social media interaction, yes. uh, which is all that really matters these days. We don't need money when we have social media re- interactions, That's and. True. What what I did, though, is I was very excited about this because it was a, a subject you and I had talked about yes. recently. But maybe you can just give a quick top-level summary for people before the WrestleNomics accounts retweets it out a little bit later. Oh, uh, what what um, is this uh, What does this video tell us or teach us? Without, without getting into the 60-minute lecture. Um, watching it back a couple times, it was kind of like a TED Talk. I don't know. But it's, um, it's basically – here's all these traditional – tools and rules that we've been taught over and over again by a lot of really experienced veteran people in wrestling. Uh, things we hear over and over again, like sell, slow down, half personality, half charisma, which are all essential and foundational. But I feel like there's a lot of modern things that haven't been talked about. And if anything, they've been disparaged. And uh, But there's, there are things that can really get you over, and they don't necessarily fit the taste of the old guard. But they are important things that I think people need to be aware of. They don't necessarily need to do them. But but I think if, if, if we're going to care about economics and getting over and getting booked and getting nice jobs in pro wrestling, then we need to understand what gets over. And what gets over is not just limited to the traditional rules I think have been set out by our elders. What about um, the idea here that that perhaps – words come to my mind that have left <laughs> i totally forgot where i was going with that but no i like i like what you're saying there is is it's so my question is is it for the wrestler or the wrestling fan well, it's definitely for wrestlers um but i think wrestling fans who are super fans of wrestling will, will, will and have found it interesting i remember now my question why don't you monetize this into a buzzfeed list uh because that would compromise my integrity wow 
Wow. This is have integrity. Is that one of your, your modern points? Is that something new to modern wrestling? No, it would be new, but no, we're, we're not even there yet. Maybe someday. <laughs> oh, wow. So you're going to be wrestling tonight. Uh, you, you're, and by the time people hear this, we'll find out whether or not, uh, Brandon had to wear another neck brace and, and continue on into Canada with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, I, I don't really have that much to mention as, as updates for the listeners here about what's been going on in my life, except for to say uh, I'm excited there's some more WWE content coming out in the next week here. And when I say content, I mean um, Mookie and Brandon related content, which is, you know, the form of fireside chats and at TV upfronts and whatnot. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, we also have a, a, a premium show that we do every week. It is Russell Mommick's Premium. It is longer than the free show. It is different content than the free show, and it's in-depth, and you get hours and hours and hours of extra content that we do. We do movie reviews there, but we do a lot more like serious mookinomics, as I call it, which is you know weird wrestling economics. So we're going to look at some uh, ticket analysis that I did for live events, and I saw you checking out the spreadsheet, and I'm sure you're scratching your head about what I was doing with price-volume mix. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about some WWUK financials that came out uh, separately filed and expertly analyzed by someone who is not me or you so uh i i think it'll be really exciting to talk about we're gonna talk a little bit about the latest from needham and company which has a wwe um earnings you know profile that they did and just uh once again mookie's uh reading through what brandon had already read through carefully so uh we'll we'll kind of meet in the middle and talk about that we're gonna talk about new japan and their company profile mm-hmm. and information on that and we're gonna even talk a little bit about maybe that progress tour that was just announced yeah but um maybe even by the time we record that show i'll have some cork and hall data if not if not for, for that show then next week most likely um, awesome. and we do do movie reviews, but they are only wrestling related movie reviews, at least so far. And they are only monthly. So don't, don't, don't fear. We will not inundate you with non wrestling <laughs> content. And, and I think, I think people still have the ability to influence our choice for the next wrestling movie. Uh, we've talked about it being pandemonium, but it could well, not pandemonium. Um, whatever the other one was called, uh, pandemonium, I think was that crazy Vince McMahon alleged, you know, bio doc that, that. You know, we don't know whether we'll ever see the light of day. We're, we're either going to do The Naked Man, which is written by the Coen brothers. Oh, yes, Michael Rappaport. Or, or we're, going, we're going to do the uh, Rusev wears his wrestling gear and pulls guns on people movie. <laughs> but today we're going to talk about um, lots and lots of TV stuff related to the media change and WWE. So this can be a pretty WWE heavy episode. But uh, if you enjoy the talk of the changing evolution of the media state, this is the episode for you. Mm-hmm. So let's get into it. Um, I think the big news this week, personally, uh, in my opinion, was this ESPN UFC deal that they reached, where which is not the big deal, is not the big TV rights deal. But instead, is this this uh, ESPN Plus, which is the new service that ESPN is launching, where ESPN has themselves kind of backed into a corner because they're launching this big service. And yet most of the content they show on ESPN or ABC, they actually don't have the rights to digitally show that content. So they're left in this kind of conundrum of what do we put on this service that is going to bring people in to pay for an OTT service? Uh, without us, you know, having all these digital rights. And of course, in the middle of all this is the Fox purchase where they're buying all those regional sports networks and they're probably trying to renegotiate a lot of the deals there so that they can get some digital rights. Um, you have, uh, in my mind, all these third party services, kind of the flow sports of the world that at some point might want to make a deal with ESPN plus to kind of sell their content library licenses, et cetera, to them. Um, but we found out that ESPN and UFC made a big dollar deal. How much is it worth? 
And uh, how long is it? $150 million over five years. No, no, no. No, excuse me. $150 million per year over five years. And if you had said 150 total five years, that still would have been a pretty good deal for them. $30 million a year, that's a huge money deal. You know, if you think about how big this Saudi Arabia deal is estimated at, some people have it at $20 million a year. Some people have it $20 million in event. Who knows what the real number is? But, you know, we'd be talking something on that scale. This is something seven times bigger. This is an average 150 million per year. So essentially they're getting about 15 shows. So that's almost 10 million per live event. Because mm-hmm. um, 15 shows per year. So obviously they're getting about 75 shows. Uh, 10 million per live event, which is an enormous dollar amount when you think about how long we're speaking here. Because you know what? what's your average event going to be? Five hours, four hours, somewhere in there, that range there? And yeah, so, and, and some of it might still be on U- UFC Fight Pass, maybe, maybe some of the prelims. Well, yeah, it's exactly. They're not getting rid of UFC Fight Pass. They're not getting rid of UFC Fight Pass exclusive content. This is going to be high level caliber content that is being put on ESPN Plus. Additionally, we'll have the ability for you to basically get Fight Pass as part of your ESPN Plus subscription, the same way you can get, you know, HBO or Showtime through your Amazon subscription, mm-hmm. where it's an add-on for additional money, right. um, which is intriguing because, you know, when you think back to what a, a Fight Pass has been, so um, in the Wrestling Observer newsletter from the 13th, uh, Dave Meltzer inferred that he believed Fight Pass was between 400,000, 500,000 subscribers as you and I talked about a few months ago or a few weeks ago, if you look at the financials from a few years ago, they're nowhere near that number. From they're at like a, yeah. yeah, from 2015 or even I thought it was 2016. I think it was 2015. We got a – it was like a, a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, it was an investor doc that they were using at the time when they were looking for the sale. And they basically implied there was 100,000, 150,000 people. Uh, approximately if you you work backwards from the number of possible people based on the revenue they're generating. Mm-hmm. So so this would say they pretty much doubled in that time, which is plausible, but not necessarily proof because the only proof I've ever heard of has been one guy's tweet where he used the wrong mathematical function for greater than and less than. And mm-hmm. that was being thrown around as if that was the the be all end all. And if there's one thing we know about, you know, UFC or people involved with that is that they're notorious for overstating buy rates and, and buys and and numbers like that to outside media people because they don't seem to know better. Um, so I, I, I'm just do- it's just it's, it's entertainment value anyway. You know? Yeah. So so somehow, essentially, Dave makes the point here that to make this deal make sense, you're going to have to have two or three million incremental UFC um subscribers and that's not very plausible when ufc already runs a service that basically offers a lot of this is this and, a worldwide service or is this domestic um i think the espn service is worldwide i'm not sure actually that's a great question is espn plus is it worldwide because um, i guess that, that that's the big that, that makes a huge difference to the question that you're basically asking there right is can they get two million subscribers well if it's only mm-hmm. in the u.s it's going to be difficult but if they're offering this if they're rolling yeah, this out in, in markets all over the world. I take it back. It sounds more like a USA-based thing. So it's, it seems much more domestic-based right now. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's even even more limited size. I mean, we, we you and I were talking about how big Hulu was last week. What what did they come out with numbers saying? 10 million, was it? 20 million? Something like that. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty big difference. Eh, 10 or 20 million. Yeah. One of those. So, I mean, there is evidence, you know, between Netflix and Hulu and other things that you can be a big service and, and MLB and NHL and or, or uh, NBA and other people have made money doing this. And of course, WWE Network is around 1.7 million. But of that, only about a million, 1.2 million is domestic. So in, Jan- in January, Hulu had 17 million. Yeah, 17 million. And then so WWE is up 20. And WWE is less than 10% of that number domestically. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a really intriguing thing. So you would say it's probably a loss leader, right? This is probably not something where incrementally you can make the argument that it's really worth it to them just on a pure dollars and cents basis. But mm-hmm. the idea here is you're creating a package of goods that overall, just like the cable bundle, if you broke out each individual channel in the cable bundle, it probably doesn't make sense. But if you offer enough of them all together, and that, of course, has always been Disney's strategy, if you think about it, is that they've always been big about saying, we don't just let you as a cable company decide you're going to buy the Disney channel. You have to also agree to take this, 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 and this if you want to get this one channel that you want. If you want ESPN, you got to agree to take these 10 other things that we also own. You know and so the loss leader on a major OTT service? What's that? WrestleMania. It is a loss leader, though. I I don't know if I'd call it a loss leader, because at least I could say that's the majority of the reason people are subscribing to the WWE Network. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think. Yeah, no, there's a good argument there that maybe it could be a lot. I mean, when we look at the economics of it, it'll be intriguing to see whether or not they do say it's a profitable or an unprofitable quarter for them. Um, In the past, they've they've claimed it's an unprofitable quarter for them for the network costs when they've allocated it. I guess to make that comparison of WrestleMania to the W Network is as UFC is to ESPN Plus is that I guess ESPN Plus is going to try to get other properties that are of similar or greater value to ESPN to be a part of this service, right? Whereas WWE knows that WrestleMania is the most valuable piece of content that they have on the W Network. Yeah, and I mean, when I was looking up, you know, what else have they announced for this deal? They've announced a basketball analysis show hosted by Kobe Bryant and uh, a Stanley Cup playoff series that used to be on Showtime and uh, a FIFA World Cup series called Last Train to Russia and some other stuff. So, I mean, they've, they've announced other deals here. Um, this could be expensive for them, though. I mean, it's it's interesting, too, because, of course, it's based on MLB AM's technology. And Fight Pass just went ahead and bought, was it New Lion, I think was the name of the company, where they went ahead and they bought the streaming service that was behind there. They bought um, their own Fight backbone? Pass. Yeah, they basically bought their own backbone. Um, so, and of course, WWE Network is also part of the stream, is part of uh, MLBAM uh, as their backbone. And one there's thing that, of course, is going to be different here. in sports entertainment. There's a joke there somewhere. I know, right? Um, you. I just think a lot about the fact that WWE has been hesitant to allow the WWE network to be basically passed through, subscribed through other services like Amazon or ESPN plus or other people, because they've said that they lose their ability to get the consumer information at that point is that basically it's just like the old cable model with pay-per-view where they don't know who their consumer is. All they get is the residual licensing fee for basically getting access to that content and that they, they don't want that. They want to have the actual user information and all the details. And of course they're trying to build their big user hub where you can buy tickets, you can buy merchandise, you can buy a vote on the hall of fame, maybe in the tiering version or other things where they understand who you are and they believe that's the value is that they're paying a premium to acquire the understanding of that user. And so ESPN plus here, you could argue when you're just an OTT service, 
yes, you can market a little bit better to the person. You can maybe uh, figure out ways to stop them from stopping subscribing. You can limit that churn. But at the same time, uh, you do want to figure out other ways to monetize the value of the deal. So one thing they are offering through this is they are, I think, offering the ability for you, just like Fight Pass, to buy UFC pay-per-views, possibly through their service here, is is to act as the pass-through so that you can get the UFC pay-per-view. So you could argue maybe there'll be a little bit of a, a moneymaker back for ESPN on that because I'm sure that there's some kind of residual effect they get. Right. Well, so they'll get a percentage of it probably, right? But UFC will get most of the pay-per-view money there. I would think so. I mean, again, they're paying such a big money deal for this, and it's it's a business relationship. You know, it's easy to, to quantify it as 15 shows, $10 million a show, but it's really a business relationship because I believe they also bought the back library. They bought right. rights to re- all UFC footage through 2018, um, basically that – but they that didn't sound buy like going, rights. going back to UFC 1. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then on top of that, they bought the rights to – they didn't buy the rights, though, to affiliated programming that is shown through the Fight Pass library is what it was so basically. I can't watch Pancrase through ESPN Plus. Is that what you're saying? It sounds that way. If, if, if Does UFC have the Pancrase library? It does. That's why I subscribed for a month. Yeah. So it, my, the way I read the, the story. I, I the had deal. to see Boss Rutten versus Masakatsu fucking Fanaki. Was it good? There it is. Did um, you enjoy it? I, th- I think so. I might have to subscribe again to remind myself, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> or you can go get those RF video videotapes illegally bootlegged. Mm. Watch them all. Um, so it, it's. I think the final line on this uh, little quote from the Observer that I have here was was one of my favorites. Do you want to read that? ESPN wanted it out that they had signed a major that they had signed a, a major player for their streaming service, and UFC wanted it out that they had signed a deal that placed the market value of a non pay per view live show at ten million dollars. Since it still has its television deal being worked on. And that's the big line there is is that UFC um, used to make, I think Dave wrote around $180 million. And if you get 150 from this and then you get another, say, 200 to $250 million from something else, you're walking away with closer to $400 million, which was in theory the number they said they wanted to do. You could argue so – they want, they want to be able to go to Fox and say, hey, look, ESPN's paying $10 million per event. We're going to give you X number of events. Multiply that by at least $10 million and that's what you owe us. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think this still goes a little bit with that idea of saying that UFC and Fox were kind of – I'm sorry, ESPN and Fox might be working together on a bid mm-hmm. for what they want to do. And, and this got me really thinking because um, yesterday Fox announced some cancellations of shows. And so they announced, you know, Last Man on Earth was canceled. They announced The Mick was canceled. They, they announced Brooklyn Nine-Nine was canceled. And uh, I do watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine pretty religiously. Mm-hmm. And so I posted about this, this it. This will all have a pro wrestling tie-in soon. Don't worry. It will. And so it was just the idea that then a lot of people were pretty upset that Fox had killed Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And this morning NBC announced they were picking it up. And um, made a lot of sense because it was always – it was like the only show on Fox that was not produced by Fox essentially. Mm-hmm. And it was something that NBC originally produced and, and basically sold to Fox. Um, so so as they were saying, a lot of the people – one of the guys had a Parks and Rec tie-in and other things. like These were people that made sense for them to be associated with NBC. And also interesting was that allegedly Hulu and, and uh, Netflix considered and passed on this deal. So NBC picked it up. But it made me really wonder because I, I, I think Fox has also picked up um, possibly Last Man Standing, 
which I believe is the Tim Allen uh, show. Let's see so here. Last. Not a WWE gimmick match. No. <laughs> yeah. Fox is bringing back Tim Allen's Last Man Standing, which has been on on other on a uh, ABC for a while. And so I, I, what I kind of see it happening as and, and maybe I'm off base, but is Fox is choosing to invest heavy in the properties that they think has the sticking power on the network. Right. So they're going with the older audience. They're going with the big established stars. They're not going with the quirky comedy. Instead, they might be getting uh, wrestling, WWE, and they're going to need a ton of prime time to allocate to that. In addition, uh, they have the football deal that they've got. And then what I see them doing is basically being like, instead of having three or four or five mini quirky sitcoms, I'd rather pay big money and get this big sitcom with a big star with an older built-in audience. And just grab it that way. And so I, I kind of see all these people doing kind of their shifts here where you have Fox's cash rich because of the the possible deal with a Disney, ABC and selling all those regional sports networks, especially um, ESPN. Disney is going heavy into the what can I do with all this additional sports content? I also need to get ESPN plus working. Fox is saying I need to to rationalize how much I'm going to spend on UFC so that I don't have to overspend. And the easiest way of doing that is just limit the amount of content I'm willing to take on and split the deal with somebody else and let them take on some content. Let me take on some content. I can give this person a raise, but I don't have to saturate my network and make it all into that. And in addition, I can monetize my network. I can make it more lucrative by making the network itself more lucrative. And so what I mean by that is that Fox sports one is worth a whole lot more to me, if WWE is on it, because suddenly you put SmackDown on that, it's a lot harder for any cable system around to say, I don't want Fox Sports 1, because they know the number of eyeballs that are attached to that. And in addition, Fox has kind of this great play where they can go out and say, hey, everybody, we've got wrestling. We've got all these eyeballs. It should be worth a lot of money. Look at all the stuff they've done to improve their brand awareness and, and value and potential appeal to more ritzy sponsors and et cetera, et cetera. Plus, I got this crossover. Plus, I got live sports. Plus, I got these other live sports. Plus, I have other combat programming. It, it seems like a win-win to me for Fox's strategy here. If a they just basically don't have to fight with people to overpay by just limiting the amount of content that they actually want to buy. Now, $10 million a show – that's a huge play, but I think there is the 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 asterisks on that to say basically this is ESPN paying for a loss leader. This isn't necessarily what the value of UFC content is, and I don't think anyone involved with this is fooled by it. But I think they recognize that UFC caught a sweetheart deal, and WWE would kill for a sweetheart deal like this, right? You know, um, for a, you, you saw what they did for Saudi Arabia for twenty million dollars. Just imagine what they would do for a hundred. And fifty right. million dollars, um, one hundred and four shows, which would be brought on SmackDown every week in a year, times ten million dollars would be like a billion dollars. And hey, there are billion dollar deals out there. It's not silly to we laugh about it. You know, there was the um, the analysis by BTIG recently where they were basically going through it and they're saying if you paid for Raw and SmackDown with the same value that you pay for football or or even ufc you'd be paying three billion or six billion dollars or something for it mm -hmm. so you know there, there's a good argument there but i i see this all being tied in together and so maybe i'm i'm silly to think of fox's sitcom strategy and fox's live sports strategy but to me it feels like a pivot 
where Fox is basically saying, I care more about live sports right now, and I care more about established entities that I have that appeal to older generations and older audiences, and I don't care if I lose the millennial audience as much. And do you think ESPN or NBCU will let them go? Can, can uh, what, what does the USA Network do if they don't have WWE? That's a huge question, and that's why I'm also saying it's so valuable to Fox Sports 1 to overpay for WWE, even if you can't get the ad rates, because you essentially get the carriage fees, where mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're a peripheral network like Fox Sports 1, it's worth so much more to you to have strong programming on it because it makes you much more cut-proof, mm-hmm. whereas USA Network, they're probably not going to – they're not going to drop off everybody's cable system tomorrow. But they have not been doing great on their core programming ratings. They do decently on the advertising they get off their core programming. Um, and so I don't think they're going to be floundering per se, but I don't think that they're going to be able to be number one on net, on cable without WWE. I really do believe that that would probably hurt them um, just because they don't have any – they don't have another backbone to go against. And they've tried some pretty weird strategies in the past for what to do, You know, putting soccer and other things on. Um, you remember about a year ago when we, we look at these KPIs, the key performance indicators that W updates every quarter, which you can find at corporate.w.com. And I remember about a year ago, they, they redesigned their, their KPI document. And we were very surprised that the first page is, is all about TV ratings, which is the, at the time were declining more and more. And now and just, this just occurs to me that maybe it's kind of a smart thing that they're doing here that, I mean, you look at this first page and you got USA Network, uh, from first quarter of 2017, first quarter of 2018 is down, it's down 12%, down, yeah. down 12% where Raw's up 2%, SmackDown's only down 2%. So it really looks like, hey, look, USA Network's kind, kind of leaking here, but we're not. Yes, and I, I, I definitely – and you also see that with the size of the graphs, right, where they show, you know, here's how big Raw is, here's how big mm-hmm. SmackDown is, and then they always make sure that USA and all other TV networks look like they're tiny little parts of the, of the, <laughs> yes. the, the pie. And so – I, I kind of felt like that's what the messaging was from the beginning. And so this goes all the way back to um, my next subject, um, which is basically Total Divas. Mm-hmm. So Total Divas did announce this week on that corporate.wwe.com site that they were renewing for two more seasons, that they were renewing for season eight and season nine. And a lot of people said, oh, my gosh, look at that. NBCU. WWE is sticking with NBCU. Didn't, see, I told you they wouldn't leave. I told you they wouldn't leave. This Fox stuff is garbage. They're, they're sticking with NBCU. And so when I re- retweeted this, you know, I had lots of people say, oh, they chose to go with NBCU. Good to know. Good to know. It's going to be on USA Network. And I said, no, it's totally different because, one, season eight debuts in the fall of 2018. Season nine, presumably, is somewhere in 2019, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the summer 2019. I don't know the, the total diva schedule, but I, I feel like it's one of these shows where seasons don't equal years where, you know, they, they're shortened seasons. You can sometimes get two seasons in a year. So if WWE were to move from USA network to Fox, they wouldn't do so until September, 2019, by, by which time these two additional total diva seasons could be already done and aired. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't see it at all as being part of it, except for to say they have the NBC upfronts on Monday, the, the night, the 14th. And um, in the morning at Radio City Music Hall, and my understanding is there's going to be lots of WWE stuff there. They're going to talk about Total total Divas, so the Bellas are going to be there, I think, as well for Total Bellas. I think Stephanie McMahon is going to be there. I think I even heard word that they might even set up a ring and be doing some kind of ring, you know, like 
I, matches? No. Content? I imagine it's going to be one of these, you know, Charlotte Flair and Alexa Bliss or something, you know, holding belts and being all dressed up or something. And again, people are like, well, why would they do that if they're not renewing? And I said, well, they're still there for 2018 through 2019. We still have a full year and a half of WWE content approximately a year and a quarter of WWE content. So if they're doing upfronts, they have a whole nother year. They are selling content for that year. So it makes sense for them to show this. In addition, it just doesn't make sense to me right now to move total divas, total Bellas to another station. I, I don't know of another, I guess VH one or something where, you know, you have a lot of these, you know, real, uh, you know, hip hop, uh, real life type shows that are, are sort of popular there. But that's, that's Viacom. It's Viacom. Exactly. So it, to me, it's like E is a perfectly great network for them to be on right now. Does, Fo- does Fox own anything that would, uh, I, be, I, that, that would fit? A couple of years ago, I went through this trying to figure it out. I'm trying to remember who owns Oxygen is one was that I that I thought of at the time. Um, let's see the Oxygen site. Let's see if I can find the actual, uh, you know, disambiguation on the word Oxygen. Let's see here, the TV station, TV. Uh, Oxygen was founded by Oprah. Yes, it was, but who owns it? it is owned, it's owned by NBCU. NBCU. See, there, that doesn't do us any good either, does it? So um, I, I just felt like it's it's really established. It uh, it fits in well with the gimmick for what E is, and they've ne- they've always said the two are independent, and to a large degree they are, especially because you know Kevin Dunn's is, is an executive producer on on Total Divas and Total Bellas, but it's also made by um, that woman who did like Real World and everything else, Mary. I, I want. What's her name? Do you know who I'm talking about? No. <laughs> I will bring up the name here in a second, and you'll be like, "Oh, of course, that's who we're talking about." I'm talking about. It's a TV show created by. I can't find it. I'm all frustrated now. You got me all flustered here. Mary Ellis Bonham. Thank you. And she she's famous for what? Uh, the real world. Yes. And and other things. So so I, it's also the fact that it's not just WWE that basically owns and created this. It's it's kind of a joint partnership. And they've always been clear that they don't think of the two as bundled as that that the way wrestling worked and the way that this kind of lifestyle show reality show worked were not necessarily bundled. Yes, they use wrestling as part of the storylines. You and I have talked about there's questionable evidence that the crossover between wrestling and uh, the reality shows have led to more fans of wrestling. You know, in some ways, they kind of live in their own ecosystems. Um, and and there are cases where WWE gets covered on other websites that previously maybe they wouldn't have if they didn't have this kind of reality outreach. So it's probably synergistic, but it's not necessarily um, an enormous feeding tube where it's what's driving all the nutrition for WWE to be a healthy company. Do you like my metaphors there? Yeah. <laughs> Vince McMahon's all about nutrition, I've heard. So um, um, so WWE did renew this for two more seasons, and uh, it, it's good for them. It's good for them in the sense that they, they were able to continue to execute this. It'll be curious to see, of course, how they portray all the stuff that's been going on um, and just kind of the independence of Total Bellas from Total Divas and whether they're going to keep up both brands or at some point it's going to collapse into one. You know, I, I think a little bit of like the Hogan – 
things where, you know, it started off as, as one show and then it flipped over to the daughter and then all the other things that changed over time with that. So, you know, these, these shows have, have shelf lives. And, uh, as, uh, they mentioned in the needle analysis here, WWE has managed to last three times longer than your average scripted show. So, uh, it's, it, it looks like Fox does own my network TV. Uh, it's they really own good. some, my network TVs, if I recall how it all works. It's owner owner is twenty first century Fox oh. parent, uh, Fox Entertainment Group. Maybe they own all of it now. It, it was that used to be one of those weird ones, kind of like the WGN thing with the the split up. That's on broadcast TV. Yeah, yeah, it's on broadcast TV. Yeah, but again, it's not one that I'd be like, oh, that's the perfect place to put these reality shows. Just put, put Total Divas right on Fox, right on the uh, the main network. I don't think it would have the uh, appeal, and plus, they already have a deal for it, so. I think they're reality TV though. Everybody watches reality (laughs) TV stuff. Not really. Unless it's live PD. I think that's the one thing that's popular these days. What's live PD. Wow. I'll let, I'll let my, the people on Twitter explain live PD to you. I I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it right now. So, um, I'm looking forward to the, to the, to the tweets. Yes. So that, that's the latest on total divas. Um, which is a sentence that I enjoy saying all the time. Um, (laughs) uh, the other thing I want to talk about is they just signed a deal for the Philippines with the Five Network. Um, I, it was kind of interesting because so they, they signed this TV deal on the with the Philippines on the Five Network, mentioning that they're going to do a one-hour version of Raw on Sundays and they're going to do a one-hour version of SmackDown on Mondays. And the SmackDown deal actually happened last year. And so when I was looking at the, the press release for last year, it was quoted by Ed Wells, who at the time was the head of WWE International, and Michelle Wilson. And so it was kind of intriguing in this case – that um, for the Philippines, this new deal that it was again quoting Michelle Wilson because John Brody's not mentioned anywhere on here, and he he technically is you know WWE International, and so I I, I always find it intriguing which you know which officials get quoted in these deals because it can speak a little bit to who is the 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 mind behind you know how this is being evolved. So you could say maybe because last year Michelle Wilson was quoted, and so she obviously has a relationship with the Philippines uh, company yeah. here because it's the same CEO Chote Reads. Um, C-O-C-H-O-T. I don't know if that's pronounced Chote or not, but I'm 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 saying that's his name. Uh, so it, just intriguing with the the free TV Philippine market. Um, again, they've talked a little bit about trying to get into the other markets. It's a good example of a TV deal. We just don't know anything else about the the dollars or whatnot. And usually these deals, much like the South Africa deal and other deals. Um, even in the last go around for the business partner summit, they were not included as part of what Michelle and George talked about when they talked about new TV deals. They, they, that was more in John's side of the, the puzzle where he's talking about South Korea or Australia and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It could be chat, maybe chat Ridge. Chat would probably be a lot nicer than Chote. Yeah. But who knows? Who knows for sure? Um, so I just thought, where, where was the, um, the, I know we have a new lawsuit that we're going to talk about at some point, but, um, where, where was there a lawsuit over the, te- the, uh, the, the TV partner from the Philippines? There was, was. one of them or was that, that was that Thailand or, or both? You are correct. Solar. So, um, uh, there was a lawsuit that was filed this past week here against Transworld Television, which is an Africa Middle Eastern distributor of television, uh, for WWE that, um, is based in Lebanon actually. And uh, they've had a deal with WWE for quite some time, it looks like here. Uh, They started their agency agreement in 2007. uh, And basically, this is one of the classic cases of uh, WWE's TV deals where basically this company stopped paying their money. 
And so they were supposed to pay $156,000 in May. They were supposed to spend $156,000 in August. They're supposed to spend $117,000 in November. And they they have not been paying their bills. And so basically WWE is, is suing them for breach of contract, for the interest that they owe them, for the back money. And these contracts usually are written to say if you basically start breaching it, then you owe us the full amount of money. So it's not even usually just the amount you didn't pay us, but then it's the extra amount plus – of course, we can also get rid of, you know, renewing your fee and then we can ne- renegotiate the deal with somebody else. And we've seen this happen a few times. It happened in Italy in 2011 with a company called Interactive SPA. Um, it happened in 2015 with um, a, a company called CTH, um, which was in Thailand. And then it happened in 2013, which is the deal you were just mentioning in the Philippines with a, a company called Solar. And so it's intriguing because there's been um, different outcomes to come to each of these deals. Uh, a lot of times WWE does win summary judgment, but I don't know if they necessarily get any money out of it because uh, the, the the Thailand deal I always thought was especially egregious because WWE made a big deal about this Thailand deal that they did with CTH. And then basically they never paid up. And so the Thailand deal was part of that bundle of big TV rights accounts in like 2014, 2015 that they were renewing and that they made a big deal about, oh, we got, you know, six times as much in Thailand than we did before. But the guy never paid. And so I always found it kind of comical where there's a big difference between um, what they say on paper is the deal and what actually happens. And again, they probably only have a few TV partners every year who don't pay their bills or go mm-hmm. completely dark. And we've seen different examples where when this has happened, this has totally changed the way WWE acted in that country. So like in the Philippines, um, right around the time, I think they they did this, this solar lawsuit and it was developing. That also changed how they rolled out the WWE network in that country. Um, and things like that. And this Italy deal in 2011, I was reminded of a deal from many years ago um, with this company called Blue Belt Trading. And uh, you remember the Blue Belt Trading deal, right? No. <laughs> no. This is a really interesting uh, lawsuit because it, it – and, and, and by the way, these payments are, are relatively small to the overall business game of WWE, right? So like their biggest deals are with, with the US, with the USA Network, uh, in the UK and in India where their payments – over the over the course of years are are tens and hundreds of millions of dollars right whereas this the, these deals that you just mentioned are like tens of thousands of dollars well hundreds of thousands of dollars hundreds of thousands so the, the, you know WWE today uh posts something called the core rights fees and so they basically make between 50 and 60 million dollars a quarter on core rights fees last year in 2017 they made 244 million dollars on core rights fees the first quarter of this year they made 65.5 million on core rights fees um and that's raw and smackdown money so if you were to say okay what percentage of that is dominated by uh what's happening in the u.s what's happening in india what's happening in the uk that's got to be 75 to 80 percent of the money because uh, that's that's just u.s uk india i'm not even talking france germany spain japan australia all of South America, Mexico, you know, South Africa, South Africa is a big deal. Um, OSN, Middle East in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then all the other European countries. So like there, there's lots of other places that they make that last 20 percent. But so the, the, you're very right. I do think it influences the narrative. You know, a lot of people were using the multipliers from how they were doing in these smaller deals back in 2015 to try to guess what they were going to get in the UK deal where they were saying, oh, in Thailand, they got six times the amount. And they were really public about that at the time, saying, oh, we got six times the amount. And I kept thinking, 
yeah, but you didn't ever advertise the fact that you didn't get paid on the deal. So in the end, you know, it was really good for them in the sense that they got the positive publicity without actually getting the money. And so it probably paid for itself in just stock valuation. But it's the sort of thing where it to me, it is concerning when you are signing deals, you're dealing with partners and they're not paying it. And it just speaks to what they call that, you know, the, the risks that they go. There's not only currency risk. Um, because a lot of these deals are in USD and, and obviously that can be good or bad for them. Uh, hopefully they're in local market, uh, money, but then also the fact that like you do occasionally have situations where just the deal doesn't get paid. So wasn't the UK deal in, in USD? Cause remember yes. when Brexit happened yep. and then the pound dropped, we, we asked about that and they said, no, it's in USD. Yes, exactly. So, so, um, uh, Transworld Television is based in Beirut, Lebanon. But uh, I was just going back to this blue blue belt trading lawsuit, which was um, something from from the late '90s that went into the 2000s. And so they used to have a deal in Kuwait with this company called Blue Belt Trading Company, and it was supposed to cover what they called the Far East, the Middle East, and all Arabic speaking countries, including Algeria, Bahrain, Lebanon, Palestine, uh, Tunisia, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Egypt, Yemen, UAE, Kuwait, Jordan, Oman, Iraq, Syria, Libya, Sudan, uh, Thailand, actually Singapore, Malaysia, Pakistan, India, Fiji Islands, Brunei, uh, Korea, Indonesia, the Philippines, uh, for like home video, for TV products, for live events, for magazines, for merchandise. And there was this big deal. And at the time, it was signed by an SVP of a guy named um, Osberg de Arce, or Arce. A-R-C-E. I don't know how you want to pronounce his name. Um, but uh, he ended up getting sued by WWE in a RICO lawsuit because basically they they made an allegation that basically uh, there was large fraud. They had basically written a deal to get 1996 through 2011 TV rights. And um, there was all sorts of paybacks and kickbacks that were in these deals. And so basically he was signing these, these deals with these people with the – idea being that then you would give him a, a point points on the back end back to him as a payment and that's why he was making these these sweetheart deals with certain certain people in certain countries um and so that he ended up getting you know like i say sued in a huge way um by wwe and uh, blue belt was was kind of considered a conspirator with him in this uh and so i think some of the reason that they might have switched over to this trans world television uh, vendor in the Middle East might be partially from this Blue Belt lawsuit, uh, which ended up being a real big, uh, real big thing because there was all sorts of um, examples where on all, they signed all sorts of weird deals. And this also speaks to why they signed the weird, weird deal on like why Jack Pacific was involved in the video game license was probably because of like kickback payments that were being made and whatnot to these these high level uh, WWE uh, SVPs or, or consultants that were working very closely with WWE. So um, just really interesting thing. I was just reminded very quickly of the fact that, yes, there was all kinds of um, weird payments being made in the years past. Uh, and so, yes, we've seen problems with TV vendors in Italy, in Thailand, and the Philippines. Um, there's always that risk. I always worry about, you know, what's going to happen in China or in India. Um, yes, there are marketplaces there, but Things go wrong. Things go crazy. I mean, there was that whole deal today or this week all about the B in sports, uh, which is a broadcast out of um, you know Qatar, and the fact that Saudi Arabia is basically allowing a pirated channel to go out called like B Out Q. B in is carrying uh, MLWs. Is this not the same thing? I don't know if it's the same company. Um, B in sports, the one I'm thinking of, is in mm. I think Qatar, 
and is it's it's the BN Sports Mena. Uh, let's see here. Uh, it's an Arabic. It's based in Qatar and North America, and it's a subsidiary of Al Jazeera. And um, the BN Sports that we're thinking of, actually, this might be the same company because the logo looks very similar. Uh, let's see here. Is, is is the B and the E lowercase and the I and the N uppercase? Yes, it is. It is the same company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, as you mentioned, yeah, the uh, the I believe MLW does have a deal with them, uh, and some other small. It's not on the Wikipedia page. They're not that proud of it, apparently. But um, it is a, a real deal that I've heard announced. So uh, just it's just funny that a. a, a bootleg version of it and again that's being sports usa so it's not to say that in qatar you can watch mlw you know i think each one of these subsidiaries has their own set of programming and rights so i doubt it's being shown in in other parts of the world right now but um Mm -hmm. just just it was just another really funny thing where like they're allowing a blatant pirated version of a competitor's channel to be aired from their country basically out of spite and uh, new york times was was writing about it and whatnot so you, you it's just one of those big examples of like even big media companies, big media markets have some really crazy things happening in them. And I won't be surprised if we do see one of these bubbles burst in, say, in India or something where one of these companies just completely screws up a deal in such a way that it causes some big financial ramifications. That said, they're dealing right now with Sony. You know, They're dealing with some big players. And so I think that gives them a little bit of relief compared to some of these run-by-night or operations or these state-owned operations that sometimes are very – um, willing to basically sign a deal and then just not abide by the rules for whatever reason due to currency problems or other problems. Do you ever think like these all these international markets maybe they could be covered someday just with YouTube or something like that or some digital some digital player, especially like if if these markets don't have really strong TV, uh, I don't know infrastructure and if, if they could eventually have uh, just as strong internet. That. Well, I mean, you're talking about the dream of creating strong internet, and to me, that's mm-hmm. to me that's a huge supposition to start off with. Because some some someday they'll just beam the the Wi-Fi from the satellites uh, in the sky. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's been fascinating to watch the evolution of of internet access in Africa and in other countries of the world. Um, I was reading about you know a fascinating piece. Uh, you know, I, I sent it to you from Bloomberg about Pi Hole. Did you read that? Maybe not. Okay. It was all about this kind of anti-advertising where someone would basically set up a Raspberry Pi and the job of the Raspberry Pi is basically just to stop advertising from coming in through your content hub through, you know, basically a router. And it was just going through how extreme people go on that and why in some countries of the world it's even more popular because especially where you have limited bandwidth for the ability to download content. Um, you're very critical then on what is coming through your phone or other mobile point because you don't want to waste time downloading advertisements because that's just that's useless bandwidth. And so they're saying, you know, in a lot of Asian countries or in developing markets, we're seeing a lot of this where there's an enormous amount of of introduction of ad blocking software. And in addition, there's a, a desire to redesign all sorts of browsers to have the ability to say, you know, images off or image light or whatever it's going to be so that you can control it because so many of these people are throttled. So yes, there's this dream that we're going to reach this point where all you where basically all you need is a connection to the hub and then you can watch content. But we know in reality, so many of these marketplaces are, are growing at such a scattered rate and that the number of people available, even in India that actually have a, have the 
complete access to this can be very limited. And so, um, you know, th they were just talking about how Walmart, for instance, just invested really, really heavily in um, this new Indian marketplace, creating one of the first, you know, new Indian billionaires on paper in a long time. Um, you heard about this deal, right? No. The, the thing that I had in mind here about the internet is Flipkart. We Flipkart heard, is um, the name of the Indian retailer that's basically fighting with Amazon for the Indian marketplace. But didn't we hear in a, in a WQ&A or something recently that they were experimenting with broadcasting raw on Snapchat? Yeah, on YouTube. Yeah, and, and I think we found out later where it was too. Didn't we find out it was like Latvia or uh, Moldovia? Or it was it was like one of these – it was like a, a Eastern European country that they ended up – that we found out they did it in. Yeah, somebody somebody wrote us and told us that. Uh, yeah, so it it was one. So my point being, it wasn't in in India. It wasn't in a uh, you know uh, Eastern African Republic. It was being done in like Poland or or Hungary or or mm -hmm. Serbia. You know, it was it was something more like that. So it was a European type marketplace, which again, I don't know how good internet access there is, but it's probably a lot different than say the development going on in Asia and the development going on in India and the development going on in South, even in South America. So mm -hmm. I I just found it really fascinating, um, just kind of thinking about that and you know whether or not we'll see one of these TV deals sometime collapse in a bigger way. Um, I would imagine that's one of the reasons that WWE wants to make sure in these big dollar deals that they're doing them with Sky or BT or Sony rather than, you know, fly by night players that might offer a lot of money and then collapse. Right. And so that's also why, you know, when people say I went, I was looking, someone asked me the other day about um, where's the quote George Berrios gave about talent being a mutually agreeable, agreeable for separation, you know, um, and I went back and I found the, the, the piece that you wrote about that. And when I was looking for George, oh, right. when I was looking for Berrios quotes from different things, I found, um, the point when Berrios was talking about people ask us, why don't we just put Ron Smackdown on our network? Wouldn't that drive a lot of subscribers? And he basically said, yes, but that's a short term thinking. That's basically trying to just put a lot of people on your, your hub in a very short amount of time. And then assuming that's good enough. But in reality, we need to think long term and we need to be thinking about our distribution strategy, about acquiring new people and so forth. And so we go back to the speech that George Barrios gave where he listed three priorities for what he wanted to do with WWE in this new rights renewal. Do you remember what those three priorities were? Uh, one of them is reach. Um I don't remember what the other two are. You, you, you mentioned them recently on some, I did, I did. And so basically the, um, the three things that he said he really wanted, and I'm, I'm stalling here for a second as I try to find, find my quotes on this. Um, let's see here. One of them would be like reach, which if you look at the prospect of to be going to the Fox broadcast network, they would have a bigger reach because Fox would have a bigger uh, reach than the USA network even would have. Cause the USA network's got something like 99 million homes that it's in, in, in the United States, but Fox would have yeah. even more because basically Fox would be in every home that has a television because it's, you know, it's a broadcast. Channel. Yeah. So his three were deepening our engagement with our fans, bringing in new fans and monetization. Those were the three things he laid out as, as goals. And so deepening engagement with fans to me means you can't go to somewhere where your fans aren't already because you run the risk of basically saying, hey, everybody, I know you love watching us on television, but now you got to figure out how to subscribe to the WWE Network. Mm -hmm. Second one, bringing in new fans, 
once you wall yourself off behind a paywall like a subscription OTT service, it's very hard for you to get that outside reach. Um, and then number three, monetization, that's straight up money. So do I think that Fox has to bring the money? Yeah. Do I think Fox has the money? Of course. Do I think that what they're paying per hour, per viewer, per eyeball, um, per set of eyeballs, per household uh, for WWE compared to UFC or N- NFL? It's a steal for them. It's 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 in that margin that they're very comfortable playing right now. USA might make them a similar money offer, and I think they'd go with with Fox. Now, if USA overpays by say a hundred million, or if USA were to make a deal that was going to be a little bit long, more long lasting, or if USA could throw in the deal, meaning the 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 extra, be it you get Raw SmackDown on your network the next day, you know, I'll give you the digital rights or. Um, we promise that we will pay the $30 million and you will get to air the Royal Rumble live on USA Network this year, you know, or something else where, where they, they come up with that big money deal extra. Would they want that though? Because not, not a lot of the incentive of drawing subscribers is that you get the Royal Rumble on. I know, but I'm saying if USA to, Network just, offered them $30 million as part of the TV deal, I think they'd do it. Mm-hmm. I think they would do it. In, in, and again, I said Royal Rumble. I didn't say WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just saying, what would be a big money? And then, of course, USA would have the whole thing. Like we showed the Royal Rumble. That was, you know, that was our thing. Remember? Like we help, we help make this a big deal. So I, I, I just see it as something that they could build up over time um, into uh, a thing. So, so there's a chance that USA could overpay or offer some huge incentive that would make WWE want to keep doing business with them. Because I, I do think that the NBCU WWE relationship is special to WWE. And I think that they recognize that that having uh, Bonnie Hammer in a powerful position is really important to them, and she offers a lot more stability than a, a, a Johnny Come Lately network. Like, hey, Fox wants you now, but who knows where they're going to be in three or four years for what they really want, and who knows how they're going to feel when they realize that they can't get much better ad rates than USA gets today with WWE. But at least right now, Fox can delude themselves into thinking they will, and maybe they will. Maybe they will. Maybe it's not a delusion. But again, it's it's the unknown, and it's attractive when it's the unknown. It's like when you quit your job for a new job. You, you think, oh, this is going to be so much better because I'm not going to have to deal with all this crap. And then next thing you know, you're like, oh, no. Things that my life isn't all better after all. <laughs> Who would have thought? So uh, I just found it really interesting uh, that we were able to, you know uh, – Look at those deals. I don't see the total divas as a must-have to make them go because I think Raw and SmackDown are going to be negotiated completely independently. I do think verbiage, but, but on, on the USA Network and, and NBC, they've been on with the exception of the time that they were on Spike with, with Viacom. They've been with USA since what the late yeah, '80s, yeah, from the mid '80s, really. Because if you count the USA Network programming with primetime wrestling type stuff, so you think. Part of the incentive for W to stay would be that hey, look, they've got uh, we've got a, a stable and and we know what we're going to get and we know that they're going to stay with us for the long term. And and, and they know with Fox there's more uncertain. And they know NBCU is going to is going to live the battle, right? Like mm-hmm. there's some networks that you could be like they're not they're going to get gobbled up by somebody else over time. Versus NBCU, you'd say they have a lot of arms and they're doing fine. They. Is Fox going to get gobbled? Not necessarily, but I'm just saying this is why they don't want to go to like an AMC or something where you you don't know that in five or ten years from now they're not going to get gobbled up. So they they have that marketing. And then it's a long history of time where you could say 
you're going to have some kind of leadership that's going to deal with this media evolution here. I think Fox. Do you think that the company itself, WWE, the company itself is. I, I've heard some people say that, well, part of this deal might be they'll sell yeah. it, they'll sell the company or a big piece of the company to, to Fox. Or maybe, who knows, maybe even to Comcast. Well, that's what I'd say is that Universal, you know, hey, you got Universal Parks, you got Universal, you got all this, you got their recognition that they know they're losing out to Disney with kind of the acquisition of all these major media brands going into Disney's portfolio with Star Wars and whatnot. I can see NBCU making the money and saying, hey, it's a TV deal. But in addition, we're now going to take a 25% stake in the company. And then we're going to grow that to, you know, 80 percent in 10 years or something, you know, some some very convoluted M&A deal. But and, and where are those shares going to come from? Vince yeah. Yeah. Something like that, where they would mm-hmm. they would where where basically they'd say we're buying out the rights to own this company or we're buying a per, per significant percentage of the company. What's the example of this? We saw it with the XFL. They inve- there was a joint venture. They invested in WWE as well at that time. So Viacom mm-hmm. did. Um, so, I mean, there, there's examples. Uh, no, M- M- I'm sorry, you're right. NBC seeded. But yeah, there's just – there's examples there going on where um, – are you sure – it sounds stupid, but wasn't there a time when Viacom owned some of NBCU? NBC? I'm, no, I'm thinking but of the, something else. Never mind. Um, so – yeah, it just—it's very intriguing to me the entire uh, opportunities that that exist there, and we'll we'll find out more um, as time goes on here. One thing we'll also find out more about is on these fireside chats coming up. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be whiskey served at these I fireside hope so. chats? Uh, we have two of them on the fifteenth, and uh, who's going to be at which? Uh, Michelle Wilson and Charlotte are going to be at, at the one, I believe, in the afternoon, and George Bears is going to be at the one in the. Yeah, morning. so George is going to be at the J.P. Morgan. Global Technology Media and Tel- Communications Conference in Boston. Um, oh, these are two separate, totally separate. On the, it's the forty-sixth oh, annual one. Oh. He'll be presenting alongside David Karnowski, who is the um, guy who's been writing the J.P. Morgan analysis for WWE. Um, who I mm-hmm. I would say he's probably my favorite right now in terms of analysts. Mm-hmm. I think he's overpricing the UK opportunity. But with the exception of that, he's done a pretty smart analysis of what's happening with WWE. Um, and then, and, and you can tweet us which uh, financial analysis is your yeah. favorite at WrestleNomics <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, and then on the flip side, you have um, co-president Michelle Wilson, WWE superstar Charlotte Flair. They'll be at a fireside chat at Needham & Company's 2018 Emerging Technology Conference in New York City. And uh, that will be in the afternoon. And they said, quote, the conference is intended to highlight companies in the consumer, Internet and digital media and software services verticals. Again, very consumer speech that Needham believes are, quote, the most likely to win in today's rapidly changing competitive environment, as well as those most likely to redefine the investment landscape. Hmm. So um, on the premium show. The Superstar subscriber show that we do uh, for WrestleNomics, which you can sign up for. I've, I realized I didn't say how they could sign up for it. It's $5 a month. You get all the audio we've ever produced for the show. It's at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Uh, we just had a lot of new people sign up this past week. We appreciate you. And uh, we do tons of new content every week just for that. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the Needham analysis that recently came out after the Q1 earnings uh, that they put out here. And so we'll give you a better idea of where Laura Martin, who's going to be the lead analyst who will 99% sure will be the person kind of hosting them at this conference 
it will be um, her thinking on what WWE is, where she thinks the opportunities are, and why she's convinced that that WWE is quote going to win in the new world. Um, just like an example, longevity, like Fox News, which combines news with entertainment to create loyal audiences. WWE combines sports and entertainment, is for quotes. Mm-hmm. So. And NW is going to double their tan because women have never watched wrestling ever. before. But we have, for the very first time, female superstars. And as we know, if you put women on television, other women now will watch your show. Otherwise, they will not watch your show. And for those of you tr- reading a transcript of what we wrote, that was sarcasm. <laughs> that was sarcasm. We're, we're, we're going to be uh, – someone's going to dig, dig up the transcript 10 exactly. years from now and, 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 and say, look what they yeah, said. Look at what they said. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. I wonder if Charlotte's uh, dental issues are going to help or hurt her ability to be on this event on the 15th, which will be uh, – let's see here. That's Tuesday. Uh, also weird because well, – actually, is SmackDown in town? Because isn't Charlotte on SmackDown brand? I think so. Yeah. So, 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 where is SmackDown? Yeah, that's a great question. That's really weird. I'm, I'm kind of curious now. <laughs> you know, uh, gosh, um, you know what? I could probably find it out. Oh, there we go. Nope, that's the wrong one. Uh, if I go to my article on uh, Fightful.com, right? Shouldn't that have yeah. a list of where it is? Yeah, it, it, it might. Yeah, so I'm going to WWE. Yeah, so the I don't have a date. I don't know where they are that day. I bet you that I, I think they might be recording from the UK that day. Um, I'm trying to look. Uh, let's see here. Live events schedule. Live in Prague, Malaga, Budapest. Um, where are they? Where Where is this? I'm scrolling. Okay, here we go. We're going to get it in a second, I think. The Endless Scroll on WWE. They are live in London. I, yeah, so she's not going to be Yeah, there. so she's off. So I just – I find it all very interesting that it's like they, they have it worked out so that she can appear in a conference in Boston. They also have it worked out that she has a tooth injury. Uh, so she's missing mm-hmm. time on the European tour. And mm-hmm. uh, also, why the heck is Charlotte Flair at a fireside chat for a bunch of investors? Like it just seems like such a strange – thing like this is the same fireside chat that was it four years ago was triple h and stephanie's what i like to call coming out party where it's like the first time they gave a big major media discussion themselves and i remember covering mm-hmm. it quite deeply um because it was really interesting and again that phrase fireside chat i thought was so funny at the time um and uh, a lot of people uh, wrote a lot about kind of what he said in that speech because he was asked about ufc and he was asked about a lot of other topics and uh it was very quotable talk he gave so i'm curious now that it's going to be michelle and charlotte and uh how whether this is just going to be you know a hey everybody look at charlotte she's a second generation superstar that we built from the ground up pay lots of attention yeah i think i i think that's what it is i I feel like they they prioritize her above everybody else because she's tall and blonde and second generation and and one thing we do know from laura martin's analysis is that she loves multi-generational stars like she she mentioned well she mentions like a props to nothing. She'll be like the rocks. Grandfather was in wrestling much like Vince McMahon's mm-hmm. grandfather. And, yeah. and that these, those two things are similar. That's true. <laughs> they're facts. Um, and then the other pieces, maybe she's just a very good communicator and they like that element of it that she's Charlotte. Maybe, maybe that's what they're seeing from it. Cause she's a college grad. She's, um, and what I, I don't know. I, she's not the person per se that we've gone out of her way. I'm also thinking they couldn't get Ronda Rousey <laughs> for free. 
<laughs> you know, which is obviously their favorite thing to kind of their favorite card to play whenever they want attention. Um, but yeah, it just it just what was even weirder about it is they announced it via email and then they left a when you clicked on the link, it didn't work. Charlotte has a BS in public relations, according to Wikipedia. Yeah. And, and she, I mean, she was a, she was a college volleyball player and, and, um, pretty sure she graduated and want to be an actor or actress for a while. Uh, and so there was that element of, I think she wanted to be more in the limelight and you never know, maybe this is, maybe for some people, this is enticing for some people. It's a punishment. Who knows when you go on this publicity tours, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's different things to different people, but, uh, obviously Michelle cares. And it'll be kind of curious because it's not often we get Michelle by herself. We almost always get Michelle along with George. And so I'm really curious to hear a Michelle only thing. We've seen Stephanie sometimes does these events and we never hear about them. Like when she goes to Fortune and speaks at a conference or when she went to Davos and whatnot. And we don't cover those all that much. But um, they don't they don't uh, give us the they don't get webcasts. We usually have to find them as a Facebook event that's like nestled in somebody else's Web page. And then suddenly be like, oh, my gosh, here it is. Or like when uh, Triple H was on a Middle Eastern radio show, you know, you find these things. Someone sends you a link through the the dark web. Um, But but these two uh, fireside chats will be broadcast live right on their their corporate website. And we will listen to them, if not live. Yes. So we have two on the 15th there. So that's kind of exciting for us to have. I'm pretty busy on Tuesday, but I I know I'm free on Wednesday. So I'll probably catch up at some point. I'll probably listen to them, at least one of them live. And uh, usually, I'd say 25 minutes to 45 minutes is is usually the length of it. And depending, the biggest difference between investor Q&A and fireside chat is that fireside chat, usually George or Michelle or someone does like a pitch in less than five minutes for the whole WWE investor deck. And then they just basically sit and talk with the investor and the investor asks them questions and they go banter back and forth. And I expect a lot of questions on the TV rights deal. I expect a couple about how big India is an opportunity for them just because they love that thing. I expect a few, especially on the, um, the Needham chant all about women, 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 women. What does it mean? You know, tell us that whole give divas a chance story. Tell us about, did you, did you know, according to a 2012 uh, two-paragraph article from PW Insider, that Charlotte Flair was actually trained before she went to the Performance Center? And do you know who she was trained by? Was it, in fact, Mr. Rick, Richard Flair? WCW star Logan oh. uh, prepared her for developmental, and she already broke her nose in training <laughs> in 2012. But that's smart. I mean, anybody should, before they go to WWE for the first time, should be doing something with wrestling to understand. So underst- what do you need the PC for when you got well, Woody? You know, I think I think it's something about like I want you to learn how to take a bump. I want you to understand what sort of things we're going to ask you to do. I want you to you know, especially when you're very tall, to uh, get used mm-hmm. to not being so gangly, and then just the the whole idea of like running across the ring. So many people take too many steps that you know the the more natural you can get into that cadence. I think that's one of the first things you should be learning at least. My, Right, left, right. <laughs> you, you, you're, you're the trainer, not me. But I, I always remember that's the one thing you can. The first easiest way to tell how green someone is is how many steps they're taking in the ring when they're running the ropes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's that's a lot of our our insightful discussion of uh, what's been happening here. Do you want to? We have a, a just a few minute of flex minutes here. Do you want to talk about Starcast? Uh, so. Sure. Uh, what do you want to say well, I was going to say, first of all, are you going to All In? Uh-huh. I think tickets go on sale tomorrow. Oh, they go on sale tomorrow? Well, I uh, I have a plane ticket. Um, I mean, am I, 
What do you want? What do you want to do? You want to sit together? Am, am I mistaken? Aren't aren't uh, all in tickets going on sale tomorrow? You, you, I don't know. You, you, you probably know better than I do. I'm not questioning. I'm, I'm concerned when I Google all in tickets. I do not, in fact, see any kind of linkage to this. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I wish they were being a little bit better on on advertising this. Uh, let's see here, Chicago maybe. The Tribune just wrote an article about it two hours ago, uh, saying seven things to know about all in the huge indie wrestling show coming to the Chicago area. Uh, and so they're talking about random things. They're talking about the tweet. They're talking about the card is still taking shape, but major names announced. And they show a picture of uh, Okada. Um, they mention an entire convention will re- revolve around the show. And that's the StarCast convention from Thursday, August 30th through Sunday, September 2nd at the Hyatt Regency in Schamburg, uh with the live podcast stuff. Uh, tickets are relatively cheap. Uh, all things considered, 153 to sit in the front row of a huge wrestling show is chump change. As they mentioned, tickets go sale on Sunday, May 13th at 4 p.m. So tomorrow at 4 p.m., will you be around to hit the button and buy some tickets? Yeah, I'll be around at 4, 4 p.m. Eastern. 4 p.m. Eastern, Central. yes. So I can I can make myself available probably. Yeah, if you're able to get some tickets, I'd love love if we can. Um, where do you, where do you want where do you want to sit though? Because we have uh, opposing views of. Uh, of sitting close and sitting near, I will, I will, uh, I will, I will bend and I will compromise. Though. I would say, I would like for for the price of the tickets right now, I'm happy to get yeah. as good of a tickets as we can possibly get. Um, okay. That said, I am very dubious of whether or not we're, those those front row tickets are going to be that available. Like that hundred fifty three dollar tickets, how easy that those are going to be able to get. Uh, hey, can we get media access? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, who do we uh, who do we contact about media access? Do we just contact the uh, the Starcast Twitter account? I have a feeling that it's going to be harder to get media access to this show than many other shows because I feel like every podcast under the sun thinks of itself as worthy of media access. And if you do not mm-hmm. uh, want to be part of the Starcast uh, podcast convention, and um, I will say I don't. While there are headliners that probably have their deals basically. Um, Subsidized, let's say, uh, for your average person, it is not free to become part of that. It's, it's not. It's not. It free. is not free. It costs money. Oh. Uh, I have seen the price sheet, and uh, I am not of the belief that it will be important enough for me to be there to spend that amount of money. I do not think that is a good investment for for my brand. Uh, it's quite exp- It's quite expensive. Is that what you're saying? I am saying the money, the value that I was shown in terms of the cost. Um, gives you some access to the people that are there. And I can understand mm-hmm. if you are set up as a podcast entity that is different than ours, it could be a lucrative opportunity yeah. for you. I believe we we are not big into interviewing former wrestlers or even current wrestlers. We're not big into um, p- p- paying to interview wrestlers or former wrestlers. Be, being in such events that that is part of the the expectation of of the people we're working with. We we talk a lot about the news. We don't necessarily have to travel to events to cover those events. Other people mm-hmm. make that they have a different setup for how they work. So I don't know how how they're going to work. I don't know what other podcasts are going to be there. But um, we're not part of the Starcast convention at least at this time. So I'm highly doubting that we will uh, be able to get media access. I would love to get media access. We, we, we may or may not be doing our, our own WrestleNomics podcast convention in a, in a lobby of a hotel somewhere. Uh, I'm not, or, or maybe, maybe a hotel. I don't know if I'd call it a convention. I would just call it a, a you know, an event. You know, there's, there's, there's no monopoly on re- recording a podcast that weekend. That means you have to be part of their 
convention. I, and I still have some travel um, arrangements through their uh, recommended hotels and whatnot set up, at least right now. I, yeah, do you have a hotel? So I struggled to get a hotel for all the days. I have a hotel right now from Thursday to Saturday, and I have a different one for Saturday to Sunday or Sunday to Monday, whichever day it is. I think it's Sunday to Monday. So I'm – is it tough to get to get rooms? Oh right yeah, now? The, like the main place is totally sold out. I think they sold out like eighteen hundred um, hotel rooms. They've said it. Hmm. Maybe I should just get a rental car and sleep in it. Maybe that's what I should do. <laughs> well, my yeah. buddy uh, stays around, lives around there, so I'm also thinking about maybe just staying at his place for some of it. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm also thinking about whether or not I want to fly or drive because. Yeah, I, I, I heard of Voices of Wrestling managing editor Rich Gracious inviting anyone who wants to to stay at his there house. There you go. I, are you being sarcastic when you say that? <laughs> I, I think so. He's, we can just sleep right on his floor, I think he said. I think he said that. <laughs> well, it's, it's on the Voices of Wrestling uh, officially podcast network show right now, so it must be true. We only speak the truth. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Th- a couple other questions or things going on. So if you're going to All In, let us know. Um, but my answer to you, uh, Brandon – would be if you can get three yeah. tickets, me, you, and my buddy, Big Daddy Watts, okay. um, three tickets that are the best tickets we can get, I will subsidize the cost of Big Daddy Watts ticket and your ticket for however extra we spend. Okay. Well, you don't have to subsidize uh, Well, I would subsidize it through the earnings of, of our show. So, <laughs> Okay. R- Russell, we'll put it on the Russell Nonics. <laughs> it will go on the Russell Nonics line of credit, which is underwritten by Blue Belt Trading of uh kuwait so we should be good um do, do we want to talk about who's well yeah i just want to say there's interesting so so david bix um had a tweet out yesterday on the 11th uh reporting something that i had actually heard a few days prior um so not saying i scooped him because i imagine we either had the same source or just someone else raised the same question which is uh if you do a who is which is the you know internet lookup information about who registered a website um, for StarCast.com, the GoDaddy uh, registrant name is Conrad Thompson. And Who's Conrad, Conrad Thompson? Conrad is, is the Conrad from the Bruce Pritchard show, from the Tony Schiavone show, from uh, – he just married Ric Flair's daughter, right, Megan? He did a, he did a Ric Flair podcast for a while yeah, too. Yeah, so I mean – but he married yep. his daughter. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. not, not Charlotte, but – but his other daughter. Yeah. yeah, and um, he's he's a uh, supposedly. I assume it's true. He's a very successful mortgage um, broker, lender, refinancer of sorts, uh, based out of Alabama, and uh, has been real successful with his company, and then been able to kind of spread into the podcast business, and um, you know is an active uh, person who I, I enjoy the fact that you know he oftentimes will say. Hey, I read this in a newsletter. What do you have to say about it? And, you know, just kind of put it up against someone to say, here's what I read. Here's what you're going to say about it and understand that I'm I'm playing in the middleman. And um, when we went to WrestleMania, I stayed in a hotel that was basically there's the StarCast travel service. I think the guy who helped me get the hotel that I stayed in, who's helped a lot of people in the figure four a website, get hotel rooms in the past. He's involved in the StarCast travel side of things. And so um, he run. he's like basically a travel agency guy. And so I think he's been involved in this. And then what was funny was not only was the Observer Q&A in the hotel that I stayed at, but later on there was like a pancakes and pile drivers or power slams or whatever it's called, uh, like breakfast with Bruce Pritchard uh, show in the same hotel. 
And I remember waking, I think it was the day of WrestleMania. And so I woke up and I was like, oh, I, you know, maybe it'd be fun to go to this thing. You know, like I've never seen a Bruce Pritchard thing. It's in my hotel. Literally, I have to go up one flight of stairs and I'm there. Why not go? And then I looked up the ticket prices and they were like 70, 80 bucks for. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't. Does that include breakfast? I might have included something, but uh, I was just like, no, not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna not going to spend more than I spent on like a WrestleCon ticket uh, to to go to yeah. a talk in the morning uh, and have, you know, just a tray of pancakes sitting out there that may or may have not been down Biggie's pants at some point. Uh, N- not not to mention uh, potential disinformation. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I enjoy learning and hearing from people that A, are successful podcasters, which they are, um, mm-hmm. learning and hearing from people that are involved in the wrestling business and – the behind the scenes, the machination part of the wrestling business. So, you know, is Jim Cornette full of hyperbole? Yes. <laughs> Does he still have a wealth of knowledge about professional wrestling? Yes. Uh, same with Bruce Pritchard. You know, he, he has a wealth of knowledge about professional wrestling from his experience there. Now, do I believe everything that comes out of his mouth? No. Like any other pro wrestling personality, there's a huge measure of a, a, a personal bias and selective memory that goes into that. So... I'm not uh, going to buy it all, but I, I, I thought if I don't have to do more than walk up a flight of stairs, would I pay 20 bucks to go to a show? Sure. But uh, I was not going to pay 70 or 80 or whatever the number was at the time. So just that the evidence of the fact that both those events were happening in my hotel, same guy who booked the travel. Now it's StarCast. Both those events are happening once again. Um, and then also I know there's an Observer Q&A for the whole New Japan show. Uh, StarCast or Star. Yeah, the all-in show, I guess, uh, that weekend. What do you think they do as first-day sales? First-day sales. They're they're trying to get, what, 10,000 seats sold. Uh, we think the New Japan show, in their first day or so, they did a couple thousand, maybe 3,000 tickets, right? Yeah. So do you think all-in beats them on first-day sales? That is a good I think I think they do for the reason of the tickets being cheaper. I think they said, like, it's half the price of what New Japan front row is. That's true. I think um, All In, in some ways, monopolized the market first. I think more people were planning to go to All In before New Japan made their big announcement that they were having that. Yeah, I think I think if there's no All In on the horizon, New Japan does a little bit better. Than yeah, like I would have considered going to New Japan if I hadn't known I had already you know made some plans to go to this All In show, and I thought, no, nah, I'm not going to make a second set of plans to go to another another uh, taping out in California, especially because Chicago is so much closer to me. Um, so, but I think, I think maybe they do four thousand on the first day, or the first week at least. And I would consider that very successful. Um, you know, for for they having four more months to sell out the last set of tickets and and almost you know announce other stars or other people that could be coming to this. Yeah. I think getting to ten thousand is going to be tough, and and we may need uh, somebody who's going to be doing a pro wrestling tease uh, meet and greet the day before to to be there to help out. Yeah, really interesting. August thirty first, all in weekend. CM Punk is doing a limited appearance at Pro Wrestling Tees. Only two hundred tickets available. Now, is Pro Wrestling Tees and One Hour Tees? They're the same company, right? That I, I think we looked into this, and yes, that the answer we got was they're yes. all the same. And there's a, there's a, there's a number of of brands that that are all under the same tree. Yeah, and and in fact, we've seen a lot of consolidation um with this like gobbling, you know, the the death of the ter- the death of the t-shirt territories, if you will, of like barbershop window and all that all going to the same kind of big conglomerate, right? 
I think so. I think they're all under one hour tees or pro wrestling tees. I, okay. I forget which one is. But so CM Punk doing this 200 ticket only thing, $50 autograph, $50 photo op up to two guests or $90 combo, both above. So I guess you can either get his autograph or a photo op. I didn't. And you get a shirt, apparently, if you do the $90 one. Um, hmm. I was about to say $50 to to meet CM Punk doesn't sound unreasonable for that type of marketplace. I, I Not my my cup of tea, but I can understand it. Um, but I figured you were going to get an autograph and a photo op. I didn't realize they would do those two separately. That seems silly to me. Um, so, yeah, uh, though I'm positive it will sell out. I mean, uh, good marketing time, right? Uh, compared to like, you know, the, the other yeah. the other ones oh, yeah. I keep seeing are like Tito Santana and Coco Beware will be doing a live appearance for the all in sale, all in ticket sales, which, yeah, really? stuff like that. So it's like, fine, but. Are they all in? <laughs> I don't, maybe if they're going to wrestle each other, that would be uh, that would be yeah. interesting. Or Okada. If it's Okada and well, you, Tanahashi, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta draw that older. Kaku beware and Tito Santana. You could, you could always book that. I mean, you got to draw that older demographic. You know, we know WWE is, is viewed by people uh, over the age of forty for the, for uh, about half their audience. So you got to bring those uh, those Madison Square Garden fans. Yeah. So it'll be intriguing to see uh, what happens with the show. I, I don't know what days I'm going to go down for now, now that I know I'm not going to be part of StarCast, the the convention. Now that I know I, – I, again, I would love to go to an Observer Q&A uh, just because I, I've been a part of the site for so long and I enjoy hearing people talk and I like meeting other people that I met through that site. Um, so it, depending on what day that's available, be interesting. I'll also be curious whether or not All In does any kind of um, – Ticket deals, like at one point I know that they, they were saying the Observer group was going to try and basically sell like a combo ticket, whereas it they were going to get tickets for all in, plus you would get access to the Q&A and it would be like a package deal. And so I'll be curious if all in StarCast comes up with more deals like that, where they're they're trying to come up with bundles, almost like corporate sales like they do for, for sports. Because again, if you're trying to sell 10,000 tickets – Hell, if you're going to give a thousand of them to some local company in Chicago and sell it at a huge discount, that's not the worst thing to do. Just to be able to say you hit the ten thousand ticket mark. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether we'll see ten thousand fans there or whether they'll have to, you know, kind of liquidate through kind of resellers in some way. Right. And w- what would be the customer sentiment if they had to do that? Like, oh, now people are getting t- tickets for ten dollars when I paid twenty five for them. I think it would be the same as all other internet outrage. It would be virulent on Twitter and non-existent on economic financial impact. It would be the Roman effect. Um, <laughs> what last thing was uh, Vince Russo uh, originally announced by Starcast. I have a tweet that I found the catch, the cachet, the cash of, and who, who is Vince, Vince Russo on May 11th, 2018 Vince at 11.09 AM. It says R- Russell or Russo? Russo. He's unique. He's one of the most controversial figures in professional wrestling history. He's been present for the highest or, of the highs his, and the lowest of the lows. Like? He's bringing his brand his of podcasting like last, um, and we're proud to announce him as a guest superstar to ours. Vince, if you could give me like a highlight of, of the things he's done that were successful in the last 15 years, what would they be? Can you give me like a top 10? Sure. He was a WWE, WWF magazine editor. No, 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 no. The last 15 years. Uh, I think that would count in the last 15. Oh, no, that'd be 2003 onwards. Um, he was a uh, podcast personality. He was. So are we. He was a. Um, he single handedly tripled the use of the word bro. In the North American continent, oh. he uh, booked a few Christian wrestling federations and wrote Did some he? books. 
Oh yeah, yeah, he definitely did. Um, oh. And uh, of course, he had his TNA runs over time and uh, helped get TNA kicked off of Spike for all time. So. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But um, he is what he is. He is uh, Vince Russo, and uh, he was announced yeah. as a guest superstar. And they wrote Vince Russo is hashtag all in at hashtag Starcast two R's, and uh, that that tweet has disappeared. And since then, uh, Cody Rhodes has wrote back that we we don't reward bad behavior. Stay away from our event. Uh, he quote he did that on May twelfth, twenty eighteen, at midnight, basically twelve eleven. AM and Vince Russo had earlier tweeted on 8:30 p.m. on May 11th the absolute fact that I am ready, willing and able to appear at All In while others are already attempting to do everything in their power to keep me from attending tells you just about everything you need to know about me and them and I'm trying to give the uh, random explain the random cap you need you need to pound on the desk the 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 Trump-esque uh capitalizations that randomly get uh thrown in here so yes, there's a sad, a sad. There's a lot of uh, things going on there with the Vince Russo thing, and of course, some people are afraid to even use the words Russo, knowing that then his legion of fans will come and and attack you, uh, much like they did. Was it Ryan Satin was having a huge feud with them where they were they were picking on him for? Uh, he was complaining about the the show and and the the terrible things they were saying about Ryan Satin's uh, partner and all these things. So he's he's um. He's a relic for sure in the wrestling world. And while there are people that certainly are interested, irrelevant or relic, relic? Uh, while there are people who are interested in him and his thoughts, uh, I have no interest in what he has to say. And uh, while Jim Cornette at least has some value in his gimmick tree, and he's especially interesting when he speaks about history and other things, uh, Vince Russo, there's just nothing there that I'm interested in. So I am not sad to hear that he's probably not going to be at this event and especially that he might not be either receiving a payday or being able to make money off of it. And I'm sure other people are, um, you know, he would draw a, a minimal crowd, but a minimal crowd is probably not worth the ill will at this time, even though, unless he wants to be one of these people that's going to pay that uh, registration fee. Mm-hmm. Now, it's clearly somebody who's been toxic to the business, if if not if nothing else, because of what happened with Viacom and, and Impact. Yeah. But plans change, as I tweeted. Plans change. So tomorrow, uh, Brandon Howard Thurston will be trying to buy three tickets for me. Uh, and if uh, only two tickets are available, then just get two tickets. We'll figure it out. Uh, okay. And uh, we'll have a good time, and hopefully we'll see some other people there. And we'll have to figure out what days we're actually going to be in town and where we're going to stay and what we're going to do. Maybe, uh, you know, at, at worst, you can uh, take over my hotel room for a few days there if you need it. Yeah. WrestleNomics Radio is brought to you on the Voices of Wrestling Network. We are uh, two podcasters at Mukigana, at Brandon Thurston, but we have a premium show. It is a subscriber show. It only costs $5 a month, and you get all sorts of extra access. Uh, to, this week, we're going to talk about WWE ticket analysis. i got some economics going on. we got WWE UK financials. we got WWE Needham analysis. we got New Japan company profile. we got progress, and we're going to have some attendance profiles about some Japanese profile, Japanese companies. Uh, it should be a lot of yeah. fun, a lot of, lot of the, the stuff, we, the nitty-gritty we get into. I think I'm going to dig up some attendances for Korku and Hall for the last couple of years for... The, the top handful of promotions in Japan, and we'll compare them uh, 
and and the veracity of those numbers themselves. But yes, we will compare them and discuss. So right now, Brand's got to run. He's grabbing his Dollar Shave Club razor. Uh, of mm-hmm. course, he knows he can mm-hmm. always go to Dollar Shave Club uh, and use the uh, the dollarshaveclub.com slash we for WrestleNomics enthusiast. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, he's going to shave his chest and get ready to shoot out to Fort Erie, Canada, or Erie, Pennsylvania, whichever one pays him the higher fee tonight. And uh, he's going to try to pr- ply his trade on his intimate knowledge of the ins and outs of what works in wrestling today. And uh, if you want to get that intimate knowledge, if you want to get intimate with Brandon, be sure to check out his uh, tweet from, uh, I think it's uh, over at the Grabs Anonymous page, actually, is, is where you should find it on Twitter. What is- yeah, it's, it's, it's on it's on the time. Perfect. And uh, all that's available right now on the interweb for your enjoyment. Uh, we will talk to everyone soon. WrestleNomics at gmail.com if you've got some feedback for the show. We always love to hear. Closing thoughts, Brandon? Uh, bye. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.